Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. It's WBZ, you are Jay talking. We're live midnight to five, and as we approach Halloween, we're really hitting it hard on the Halloween stuff, and I love it. We're going to be really detailed tonight about the stories of the witches, the people accused in Salem, and also some peripheral folks. This uh, book we're going to focus on is called Wicked Salem. It's divided into three parts, the witches, the murderers and the cursed. We'll focus mostly on the witches, but we'll get into the murderers and the cursed. And I'm very pleased that our guest, Sam Baltrusis, is a person who knows the answer to a question I have long had and asked it numerous times. Finally, we, we get an answer, and it's a horrific story. If, if you're into the macabre and the horror for Halloween, well, this will fill that bill. Sir, thank you for being with us. I'm grateful to be here. You are, as I understand, a member of a family that persecuted witches. Well, yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up right at the very the top of the show. But yes, I, it turns out that I'm actually related to the Putnam family, and this came after writing two books on Salem. Uh, my first was Ghost of Salem, and my second was Wicked Salem, which is what we're talking about tonight. And it, my mother, who is uh, really into genealogy, she was uh, going through Ancestry.com, and she was rattling off names. And I knew that we were came from Rhode Island. So the family came over from England to Rhode Island, but I didn't realize that we were, so it was the Ghoul family. And then she mentioned, she's like, Sam, I think we may have burned witches. And I'm, I'm like, mom, they were hanged. They weren't burned. And I'm like, what's the name? And she said, Priscilla Ghoul Putnam. And then I, a red flag just went off. You and said I'm, yes. And, and then I'm like, mom, are you sure? And she's she has a book of research, and and it turns out that Priscilla Gould Putnam is the matriarch of the Putnam family, who, in my opinion, were the the major bad guys uh, when it came to accusing innocent men and women of witchcraft in 1692. And you you've been focusing on this for a long large part of your life. You're, you're very very into it. And what I like about your books, particularly Wicked Salem, the detail. I'm all about the detail. Yeah, I, lo- I love I love digging up those little like details that other people don't focus on, and the, that comes from time and spending years in the library, and then also just talking to people. I mean, even the you know the thing we're going to talk about later. Um, I that was a someone kind of mentioned it, and I'm like, what is this? And I and I spent a week digging up the information on the on the whole backstory. So I love 
the research. And I also love talking to people, interviewing people, and hopefully getting the history correct. So the story we'll tell later on, maybe one of the most gruesome stories in the history of Boston, the United States. I don't know. It's really super gruesome. It's so gruesome it almost seems like it had been hidden and, and sort of swept under history's rug. Oh, and that's that's the case for the Salem Witch Trials as well. Uh, a lot of the history has been lost over time because it was such a dark period in our past, and they people wanted to disassociate themselves from it. And the fact that I'm related to the Putnam family, if you would have asked me, say, like 30 years ago, it would probably not be something I would admit publicly uh, because it was so. it's such a macabre part of our past, and people don't want to be associated with a bad guy. So there's a big tease for this this fact for later, but now we'll get into the witches themselves, the witches section of your book, Wicked Salem. We'll start with Alice Parker. Actually, you know what? Why don't we do this? Although we, we sort of know the overview of, of the Salem witch situation, it's valuable to get a different angle. Each person that tells the overview gives a little more detail from a little different angle. Why don't you do that? Well, with Wicked Salem, I really wanted to give a voice to those without a voice. So my whole take on the witch trials, people ask me all the time, like, why did the, the witch trials happen? And there's so many different, it was a perfect storm of things that happened in, back in 1692. So to, uh, the basics, 19 innocent men and women were hanged for witchcraft. One gentleman, Giles Corey, was pressed to death over a two, maybe three day period. And that, of course, was very macabre, uh, being pressed to death. Uh, why did it happen? Well, it started with a, a two young girls in modern-day Danvers at the Samuel Paris homestead or the, the parsonage. And one girl, Betty Paris, who was the daughter of the reverend in modern-day Danvers, which was considered Salem Village in 1692, started having fits. Is that parsonage still there? It, well, the foundation is. Oh, okay. And it's, I actually went back to it recently because you know, it's one of those places you always focus on uh, Salem Town or downtown Salem and you don't really go to Danvers. And I went back and I did uh, kind of, I did an apology actually at the parsonage. So when I say apology, I actually read the apology that Ann Putnam Jr. wrote or supposedly wrote uh, to apologize for her role in the Salem witch trials. So you, you, you acted as her apologizer. I did. I, and I, I did it. I kind of did it with uh, my friend who is a high priestess witch and we did kind of like a ritual. Who's your friend? Uh, her name's Dana. She's it, so it's not Lori Cabot, but Lori Cabot is in my book. But yeah, she's a high priestess. Well, I, I, I want to know all the high priestesses I can. <laughs> you want to hang out with the high priestesses? Yeah, Deanna. No, uh, Dana. Dana. Yeah, Dana. And she and I. She's actually related to one of the victims, Elizabeth Howe. And I felt, you know, I'm like, let's let's do this. And I want to, I want to read this apology. It's been called a faux apology, in the sense that. She actually didn't read it in the church, and it was done when she was uh, when she was later in life. She wanted to be uh, brought back into the church in Danvers, or it was considered Salem Village. Mm -hmm. And so Reverend Green, who was the was the minister at the time, was the one who read it out loud. And she admits to uh, she said that she was she was basically taken over by by Satan, and that Satan was kind of making her do what she did. Uh, she was deceived by Satan, is what she said. And so it was an apology, but it was kind of like a faux apology. Okay. By the way, how does one become a high priestess? Are there certain merit, which merit badges that you have to get? You have kind, to yeah, there's. And I, you know, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not Wiccan, but I do think that 
pagan rituals and Wiccan rituals work. And I and with this situation, we decided to. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a, a apology rituals we kind of created. So we did this whole sacred space at the parsonage. I don't even know if this is legal doing what we did, but we just we did it and we made a sacred space. And she did kind of like a chanting where she opened up the area. So we were <clears throat> kind of opening up the uh, the space for the spirits to kind of come into the circle. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, and I and I basically started reading my take on the apology, and it was a lot more heartfelt. And then she um, closed the circle, and we were both in tears. It was very emotional. I would think that Danvers would rebuild the parsonage to the exact specifications if they could, make it look as authentic as they could, and then maybe, since that's actually where it happened, right? That's where that's ground zero to so the Salem Witch Trials. cash in on Salem's getting all the notoriety and all the cash, and Danvers <laughs> is where it really happened. Yeah, it's so weird because it's this little area behind a house. Well, and that's the thing. It's a residential area, yeah. so they may not want it to be they could, a tourist attraction. Well, they could offer to buy the thing. That's that's another. We got a lot to cover. <laughs> We're going to become intimately familiar with the witches. Alice Parker first. All right. So just to clarify, these were innocent men and women who were accused of witchcraft. But of course, I did label them as witches in the book. But oh, I just yeah, wanted, that's I wanted right. to specify that. But um, with, so Alice Parker was one of three that were actually part of what we consider Salem now. Uh, Salem was a big air landmass. So it was Salem, Peabody, um, Be- uh, Beverly, but Andover. Um, Topsfield. So there was a whole area that was considered uh, Salem Salem at the time. But Alice Parker was from Salem Town, which is modern day Salem. And she lived at a, kind of like a shack that was really close to where the House of the Seven Gables is. And Alice Parker was considered a rogue and a rogue was not a good thing. So she was an outspoken woman. Uh, there was one night, for example, she uh, went to a tavern. Uh, it was the Samuel Beetle Tavern, and I uncovered this in my book because uh, a lot of the the Beetle Taverns. There was two Beetle Taverns. There was the Samuel Beetle and the Thomas Beetle Tavern. She goes into the tavern uh, to get her husband John Parker. He was drinking a little too late at the tavern, and she rips him out. She said, "Get out of here, John Parker!" And so the guy sitting next to John Parker, John Westgate, called said she was a rogue, and uh, and then she kind of kind of made a smart remark towards John Westgate. Pulls her husband out, but then John Westgate continues to drink at the tavern, and then he had an experience that was used to actually accuse and execute this innocent woman. He goes outside, and he says he sees a spectral hog. Now, the spectral hog, according to his testimony, had the face of Alice Parker on it, and this ghost pig followed him down the streets of Salem to his home, and he actually testifies saying that he had this encounter. It was chased by a ghost pig. With the face of Alice Parker. Exactly. Was she the first? No, she wasn't the first. Okay. Yeah, she was one, one of the three from Salem okay. Town. So this was a thing already, and he it was in the top of everyone's mind and as a way to get revenge on anyone that, that done you wrong. Right, and, and you'll see a lot of people, there were men that were accused and executed, but the women, if they were outspoken, if they defied the status quo, then they were targeted. And she was definitely, she was a rogue. She was someone who was outspoken, probably wore the pants in the family, and John Westgate didn't like that. Pretty good name for a band, a goth band, Ghost Pig. 
Well, I'm actually known as the ghost pig guy of Salem because I was on a TV show on the Travel Channel. I told the story, and the guy, the guy from the Tennessee Race Chaser supporter, he's like, Sam, what's a spectral hog? And I'm like, it's a ghost pig. It's a ghost pig. And, and then so it, it was picked up online, and I'm like, ghost pig guy, ghost pig guy. So, yeah, I have been living down the ghost pig statement from television. Next, Bridget Bishop. Now, she was the first woman to be executed and the only woman to be executed by herself. Uh, She was quickly executed. So she was accused and then uh, executed probably like in a week and a half time. So that's very quick. A lot of the other women were in the dungeon or the jail uh, for months until they were actually executed. Uh, She was often confused with a woman named Sarah Bishop who owned a tavern. So when I first started giving tours in Salem, I incorrectly said that she was, you know, a tavern owner, and she was also known for wearing kind of red red dresses with lacy garb. Now, if you read the testimony, it was very sexualized, like her their take on Bridget Bishop. Uh, she wasn't a tavern owner, uh, but she was. She definitely fought with her husband, which was a major no no in 1692. Uh, and then, if you really dig into her backstory. She was kind of whispered that she may have been a witch when her husband mysteriously died before the witch trials. She may have killed him. So she had that whole reputation. They felt like she was probably the reason why they chose her to to be, to be the first to be executed because they they were pretty convinced she was a witch. So they used her as a kind of like a cautionary tell like if you if you're a witch this is what we're going to do to you. Uh, they put her in an ox cart. They took her to uh, Gallows Hill or Proctor's Ledges where the actual executions took place. And they, instead of killing her instantly, which would have been the more humane way to kill her, they put the noose around her neck where it, it, her, her neck did not break. And that would have been more humane. But she was up there dangling for 20, maybe 30 minutes, lost control of her bowels, convulsing. People were throwing rocks at her, calling her hag. It was a horrible, horrible way to be executed. Who accused her multiple people accused bridget bishop and the afflicted girls were the ones who were the major accusers uh, but with her situation she had men that were involved so there were men in in her neighborhood which is modern day salem and they for example they were doing construction on her her home and they found poppets in in her the woodwork and her the paneling at her home. Now, poppets are like voodoo dolls. Oh. And they found the poppets in, in her home. And truthfully, if you look at the superstitions of the time, pretty much everyone had a poppet, uh, and it was to ward off evil spirits. But that was actually used, and they're like, hey, we, we found poppets in her home. She's got to be a witch. A uh, lot of She was not a tavern owner, but she was a penny pincher. So she would go from home to home or dressmaker to dressmaker to have these beautiful red gowns made and she would lose her purse. Uh, so they did, a lot of the town people did not like her for being so uh, being a penny pincher. And she even was you no know, she had an apple orchard in modern day Salem and the apples would fall into her neighbor's yards. She would literally jump, get her apples and bring the apples back. So she was that much of a penny pincher. So they did not like her because of that. So she would have dresses made and then say, oh, I lost my pocketbook. I cannot pay you. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And that, that, that's part of the testimony. And like, she like magically lost her purse. And the, I guess apparently also the red dresses were people think that it, 
she's been kind of portrayed as this loose woman in pop culture, and really she uh, she wasn't. She was uh, the red dress is actually signified wealth, and she married wealthy, and she didn't actually wasn't she didn't come from money. So that that whole red dress theory was was kind of like part of her being kind of displaying her wealth and the women and men did not like that. Okay. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. We have George Jacobs. Yeah, George Jacobs Sr. was an elderly man. He also is in The Crucible, which is a great work of fiction. It's All the characters in The Crucible are real people, but some of their stories have been twisted to make this narrative work for Arthur Miller when he wrote The Crucible. Uh, and a lot of people think The Crucible is actually historically accurate, and it is to a certain degree, but some of the people, including George Jacobs Sr., were incorrectly portrayed. Is it a good re- book? Is it a good read? Or uh, is it a play? Oh, it's a play. The Crucible. Yeah, The Crucible is required reading for, it was for me. And that's actually what what initially inspired me to to go to look into the to, to into the um, the facts of the Salem witch trials, but I took the Crucible as historical fact, and you see that with people visiting Salem on my tours. Sorry to be ignorant, but there must be a movie version of it that I can watch, right? Yeah, Winona Ryder's in it, and she plays Abigail Williams. And the truth is, Winona Ryder uh, was like twenty when she played Abigail Williams, and Abigail Williams was twelve years old during the Salem witch trials. Uh-huh. And it's also what's also the biggest misconception about the about the Crucible is that Abigail Williams has an affair with John Proctor. John Proctor was not, he was a tavern owner, but he was 60 and Abigail Williams was 11 or 12. There was no way that they had a relationship. Okay. Where did you get the facts? The dialogue, you talk about things people said. Were there transcripts of the trials or transcripts of a pre-trial yeah, there's Hearings. a lot. Well, that's the thing. One of the unfortunate things about the Salem witch trials is that you have to read between the lines of the testimony. So you have people like the Reverend Samuel Paris, who I talked about a little bit earlier. He was the one that was ground zero to where the actual witch trials started or the hysteria started. So he was the stenographer. He was taking notes. <laughs> and of course, they're going to be skewed. So um, when you read the testimony, you can what's what's shocking about the testimony is that all the questions were like there you can tell that they that they were convinced that they were witches while they were asking the questions like when was the last time you saw the devil and you know it was right. very uh kind of like forced testimony so not have you ever seen the devil but when was the last time yeah when was the, the last time you saw the devil yeah okay <laughs> we do not have time to get into another um, so-called witch yet because the break's coming up. But are you are you giving any talks or tours or anything that people can go to coming yeah, up? Yeah, well, I, I've been lecturing all month. Uh, so I'm definitely the, the go-to guy when it comes to Salem's history. Uh, and especially when it, I write about the paranormal. So people like to know the ghost stories associated with it. Uh, but I'm speaking at a Newburyport library. Uh, and then I'm also uh, speaking at Groveland's 
uh, next week, and I'm giving a tour in Salem on Saturday, but we're already sold out. So when's the new the Newburyport Library? Uh, so it, there's one on. So if you go to my website, sambaltrusis.com, uh, one's on Tuesday, and I think Newberry Ports on Tuesday, and then Groveland's on Wednesday. So that's Baltrusis, B-A-L-T-R-U-S-I-S, Sam Baltrusis. We'll get the rest of the way the rest of the way through George Jacobs. We have Bob and Peabody joining us here. Uh, how you doing, Bob and Peabody? Hi. Good. Good eve- uh, morning. I guess it is. Yes. Uh, I have a couple of questions, but but before that, a quick comment. The uh, Crucible remake, I'm surprised that you aren't aware of this, because much of it was filmed around Plum Island. They oh. have a, a set they built out there. You know, usually I'm aware of everything, but that one slipped by. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't but know I'm that. I'm thinking you may have been living, because when I was doing... Uh, flight lessons we'd fly over at like 2003 or 4 yeah. and you point to the structures were still out there i was there from 2003 to 2006 well, so, the, so you're correct there, where did they a, where did they build these structures near the airport ask ask your expert i don't i, I don't, don't i couldn't tell I, you i i don't know about the actual Wolf. remake um with, with it was was it the one with Winona Ryder that that yeah. that one yeah i'm well, actually not yeah. sure maybe some yeah. Plum islander will let, will let us know what else yeah, bob I, I, I think it was they didn't want to bother taking it down. It just sat out there until it rotted. It might still be up, you know, some oh. of the buildings. Okay. Uh, I have two questions that you, uh, your guest said that not much happened in, in downtown Salem, Salem town, present day. And last night's guest said something similar, that all the activity was out at the parsonage. But as I understand it, I, I, I'm no expert, but I, we have a big plaque in the center of Salem that says the courthouse was there. Yeah, Is that's, that that's the where case? the, well, that's where the actual witch trials. So the, the, I actually didn't say that it, that it didn't. The, that was me. I didn't say that things didn't happen oh. in downtown Salem. I actually said that, it, that the original uh, witch hysteria started in Danvers, modern day Danvers. The actual witch trials did take place, but it was, it's uh, it's often confused with uh, there is where Rockefeller's is, and I you know I've done a TV yeah. show on that. Um, that's where the first meeting house was, but it, but during 1692 it was actually on Washington Street, so it was a, it was in the middle of, of what Washington Street is now, right in front of Salem Cycles. So that's where the witch trials took place, but the interrogations and a lot of it happened uh, initially in Danvers, but then it moved to Salem Town. Because it became a spectacle, people came from all over, and they wanted it to be in a larger location and to be, um, yeah. So it was so yeah. The trials was it, was it just was it just basically the idea that the the so called crimes everything was happening out in the the farms, the sort of suburban Salem, but then all the business stuff, the 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 uh, courts, the jails, the hanging, everything, all that was downtown was where the actual city was happening. Exactly. And a lot of, oh. a lot of the, um, it started off in like Danvers and Peabody and, um, Andover, but then it, they brought it because they wanted, they wanted the uh, pomp and circumstance of being downtown. Now the hangings were, uh, behind a, a Walgreens. So it was kind of on the line, um, of on the outskirts of Salem, but it yeah, was, no, I know, I know where they put the, I know where that oh, is. Proctor's yeah, Ledge, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it, was, it was on the outskirts of it. However, it, um, it, def- it's like on the line of like Peabody and, in um, downtown Salem, but still it, it, it was close to Salem town. Okay. And one very quick question, a, a different matter. Nobody has mentioned this yet. And in the, uh, the play and everything, this, uh, I don't know if Jamaican or Caribbean nanny, was key to kicking everything off, and it, was that completely fictional? 
No, so well, well, she was. Her name was Tichaba, and Tichaba was a major player. So she was the one who. Um, she's been portrayed as like this African voodoo priestess in the crucible and truthfully she was uh, from Barbados and that's good that you got that correct um, but <laughs> she she was lighter skin uh, she was she was definitely involved with uh, the girls so the girls uh, she's brought in for questioning and so she was one of the fir- one of three women that were initially accused and she said she she was guilty so that actually bought her more time. Uh, and she started naming names. So the first three were um, was were Tichaba the, to be accused of witchcraft, and then we have Sarah Osborne who ended up dying in in the jail, and then we had um, Sarah Good who we're going to talk about a little bit later. So there was Tichaba, she was real, but the way that she's been portrayed uh, has been probably was definitely fictionalized in the Crucible. Thanks, okay, Bob. and bottom line was she, she was executed in the end. No, she was not. So she oh, okay. she was smart. She uh, she started uh, because she gave up the names she, of others. She was pointing the finger to other people, uh-huh. and that fed into them. And what she was, I you know, if you look at her as as a as she was she was trying to protect herself, and she started you know she want she gave what the court wanted or the magistrates wanted, and that actually was the smartest thing that anyone did at that point. Thanks, okay, Bob. Thank you very much. Yes. I, I wasn't sure if she might have been wholly fictional. No, no, so. she was. She was a real woman. Yep. Because we even up here at, in Salem, they really don't mention her much in any of these presentations. Well, you know, it's weird with with Tichaba. She's su- such a. Um, it's difficult to kind of re- correctly tell her story because she basically said she was a witch. But if you really look at her, it was coerced testimony. Yeah. Okay. Great job, Bob. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, thank Bob. Thank you. Very good call. Well. The time flies, doesn't it? We're halfway through George Jacobs. Let's get the rest of the way through okay. here. Well, George Jacobs Sr. was an elderly man. He was portrayed, in the, and speaking of the Crucible, as the sickly old man who didn't really fight. And the truth is, George Jacobs Sr. was accused by his granddaughter. His granddaughter was accused, so she was one of the names that were pulled out by the afflicted girls. And she was brought in for questioning. She was, she was hysterical, and she ends up... Uh, pointing the finger to her grand, her sick grandfather. Now, we know he was sick because he had two canes uh, in the courtroom or in, in, during the, the interrogation. But we, what we don't um, know, when you look at the testimony, he fought so hard. Uh, so his granddaughter was, of course, taken away. She named somebody, so she was kind of taken out of the equation. It was now focused on George Jacobs Sr. And they were like, are you a wizard? Are you, you know, are, did you do this? And he said, no, I did not. And if you read his testimony, he was not this sick man who like passed out while he was being questioned. He fought so hard for him and his granddaughter. And he was executed? He was executed. And was he, the, he wasn't the guy pressed to death, was he? No, that was Giles Corey that was okay. pressed to death. But yeah, he fought hard. We actually know where his remains probably are. And the reason why he, he was in Peabody and uh, he, they did an um, excavation on his, what his property and they found the remains, skeletal remains with two canes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the, the remains actually dated back to uh, from, from that era. So they, they know that it comes from that time. Uh, but what's interesting about the remains is before, instead of interring the remains immediately, um, it, they gave them to the town historian, Richard Trask. And it, apparently Richard Trask had the bones in his closet for like 10 years. <laughs> It'd be pretty easy to confirm, wouldn't it? If, because there must be genealogy of the family and they could, you could match the DNAs. 
if you yeah, want, I mean, if you want it. I I think that this what happens. So they interred the remains next to where they believe Rebecca Nurse is buried, uh-huh. and so we we know two. For, we're pretty confident we know that two are buried in the cemetery at the Rebecca Nurse homestead. Um, but I, I don't think they're gonna like take out the remains and try to to do a DNA testing. But I think they're pretty confident that it that it's him. Yeah, and what if it wasn't? We wouldn't even want to know. We prefer the the myth to knowing the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I and people want to know where they're buried, and they when they learn that they were most of them were cut down. It just dropped in the rocks. Like they, like that's that's horrifying. Sad. It's so sad. Next is Mary Easty. Mary Easty. Mary Easty was one of three sisters to be accused of witchcraft. Her sister, her older sister Rebecca Nurse, was uh, executed. And this woman, Rebecca Nurse, was amazing. She was a lovely woman. She was neighbors to my family, the Putnam family. And Rebecca Nurse uh, was sickly. Uh, she was brought in, but she was also loved by the community. And the community, um, they actually signed a petition to save her. And she was initially found innocent or was, was acquitted. And then the afflicted girls in the courtroom started acting up when they said, well, you're not guilty. And they started uh, being afflicted. And they were doing all sorts of crazy things like uh, barking like a dog, saying a yellow bird was flying throughout the courtroom. Uh, and then she, they also... Um, they just they said Rebecca Nurse was a witch, so they they brought her in. This is the sad, <clears throat> the really sad part with Rebecca. They um, she they asked her a question, and she was hard of hearing, so she was like you know a like yes yes, uh, and she didn't hear the question. She didn't respond to a question, and that was you that was actually used to. Uh, to, to actually find her guilty. Unbelievable. I know. So she was the, the first sister to be executed. The second sister, Mary Easty, is the one who I talk about. And Mary Easty was, just like her sister, a lovely woman. Uh, she was one of the town sisters. And the town sisters had a reputation uh, that goes back to their mother, uh, Jessica, um, uh, who was who was accused of being a witch in Topsfield. And so the, the mother, or no, sorry, not Jessica, Joanna, uh, darling. And she, she was accused of being a witch by the Putnams back like 10 years prior. And, the, and this woman was, um, the reason why she was targeted was because she sided with a local reverend. So there was a lot of fighting with land and also with the reverends. Uh, there was other ministers at the time. And so, so anyway, so Mary Eastie was also executed, but she was executed with the final eight. Uh, and she was kind of like, uh, let's get it get it done, like because it was the the tides were turning and there was a backlash forming. And Mary Easty wrote this letter, and if you read it, it it's heartbreaking. To uh, to she's like, I know I'm gonna die, but please, no more bloodshed. Wow, I find it amazing that they believed these afflicted girls all the time without question. They didn't question their motives. They didn't question anything. Well, the, the people that what they what was happening is if you actually did question them, like like John Proctor or um, <clears throat> like even some of the Putnam family were like they were like what there were the there was a part of the Putnam family that actually signed a petition for Rebecca Nurse to you know, to support her, uh, but the the part that Ann Putnam Jr. Was having having dreams, and uh, she was have, seeing the specters of these men and women. And if you look at how many people she accused, it was sixty two people. And if you look at the ones that she accused, there were it was bad blood with with the family. So Mary Easty, uh, their mother had he was a town constable. So uh, so Thomas Putnam, my he would be my cousin. Uh, he was the one that was kind of 
I, I think using Ann Putnam Jr. as a puppet. Samuel Wartwell? Samuel Wardwell, he was one of the the three from from Andover that were accused of witchcraft. He was the only one that said he was guilty of witchcraft, and his guilt was that he um, told fortunes, and the fortunes were pretty much 50-50. He would tell the gender of children. <clears throat> so that was actually used to, to accuse and execute him. Now, he tried to actually take back his, um, his plea of guilty of being a witch uh, before, but they would not allow it. Uh, so they actually executed him with the final eight. They were also known as the eight firebrands of hell, and that included Mary Eastie. Uh, and Samuel Wardwell was trying to see, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, when he was at the gallows, and the executioner was blowing pipe smoke in his face while he was trying to say he was innocent, and he was and then he was hanged. So he never got his final, like, I'm innocent uh, publicly. So the executioner didn't seem to feel bad about being an executioner, correct? No, they dehumanized these men and women. They really thought that they were witches. I think they got a they got a thrill out of it. And by the way, it's important to note note when we talk about witches, there were scapegoats, and that's something that happens throughout history. We're talking about it off the air. You see it in the Holocaust. You see it today. You see it other places throughout the world and throughout time. It's scapegoating. So. It's important to to watch out for that going on. Let's go next to Sarah Good. Sarah Good was the town beggar woman, and she would go from door to door asking for food. She had a little girl, Dorothy, who was around four years old, and she actually knocked on the door of the Reverend Samuel Paris's homestead with with Tichaba and and Abigail Williams and Betty Paris and their wife. Uh, and uh, he uh, she asked for food, and she. Um, the girl started started reacting to her, but according to the testimony from Reverend Samuel Paris, he said that she mumbled under her breath, but she said she said thank you. But the mumbling could have been the fact that maybe she was uh, like maybe post traumatic stress disorder or some kind of maybe she was just mumbling. But she she said she said thank you. But she was a feisty woman, and so mumbling was a sign of uh, of being a, a witch. Yeah, well, he said that she cursed. The, under her breath, she okay. was like mumbling. And the girls, Betty Paris and Abigail Williams, both had sort of reacting when she came to the door. And some people think that if you look at some of the women that were accused, uh, some of them were were town beggar women. Like they would actually beg for food. And that includes, uh, we have Wilmot Red too from Marblehead. She was the same, same boat. And it was almost like guilt associated with uh, the homeless population. So Wilmot Red, same thing as Sarah Good? Yeah, she was definitely the more like a, the stereotypical witch. And the thing when it when it comes to like the physicality. So if you think of like the kind of the pointy nose and the no teeth, kind of like, <laughs> cackling witch, she was that stereotype. But she also was mar- she was marginalized because she was different. And she, um, so th- with her, she was she was one of the ones of the, the final eight that were executed. But you can actually go to the cemetery in Marblehead. Uh, there's Red's Pond, and there's a marker that commemorates her. And they say, if you um, say, you know, uh, Mammy Red from Marblehead, uh, there's like a little rhyme that you say that she'll make an appearance, or you can hear her cackle. Um, I did that. I didn't see her, but I did, uh, I was chased around Red's Pond by a goose, it came out of nowhere, uh, and and I fell into Red's pond when I was doing this really? rhyme. So, so that's it. Yeah, but that was my experience with with Mammy Red. Pick up this book, Wicked Salem, for lots more details on this very local and 
Very interesting period. Now we have four minutes, three minutes maybe to talk about something, to get details on something I've heard about and now it gets explained. I heard it incorrectly that a, I heard that a man was hung on the Boston Common and was laid there to rot in a cage for four years. His name was Black Mark. That's not true. There's a person named Black Mark. There's a Mark and Phyllis who were slaves and they were slaves to a captain who they were accused of killing. I'm doing the really fast intro here. And they were convicted, and huh, actually, uh, Mark was hung, and Phyllis was burned. Yeah, it was horrific. So it was in the 1750s. So this is actually after the witch trials. And so Mark Mark was hanged in uh, Cambridge, of all places, because people, people would say that it was Boston Common. And then they took his body and put it into a gibbet cage. Now, a gibbet cage was a crude contraption designed by the Puritans, kind of like to show off the body, uh, to say like, hey, if you're... If you do this, if you murder murder somebody, or if you're a pirate, then we're going to put you in a cage. So they put him there, and and Paul Revere passed by the gibbet cage with Black Mark uh, when it happened, like when he was going the midnight ride of Paul Revere. So first, a gibbet cage. I looked it up just before the show. It's a cage. Basically, if you took a coffin and and just made a coffin shaped thing out of metal strapping, it's it's a form fitting cage. It's it kind of has a human form, and they would hang it up so you wouldn't. You'd kind of maintain an erect posture while you, while, even though you're dead. And did they draw in quarter or did they just hang? Um, with the way they killed him was was so with with Phyllis, she was burned alive, and that is the last time. And a lot of people think that the the men and women who were accused of witchcraft were burned. Phyllis was actually burned, yeah. and so she was burned at right by Porter Square. Uh, area of Cambridge, and a lot of people don't know about this. And then, and, and Mark was put into a gibbet cage right by Sullivan Square, which is a hotel uh, near Sullivan Square. So hung over in, near Porter Square, hung near Sullivan Square, where there's a a hotel. What's the hotel? It's like a Holiday Inn, okay. right by yeah. And they left. This happened in 1755, and he, he was hanging there at least 75, like 20 years because it's referenced in the Ride of Paul Revere. It is, and he he passes kind of like a passing thing, and it's you know you didn't when I, when I was hearing you talk about black like this whole story, uh, it's surprising that we don't talk about this. This was a horrible execution, and they may have not killed Captain Codman, and might have been innocent. Yeah, like they were they were scapegoats, kind of like we're talking about. So the do, history does repeat itself. I was so you can you write a book on that, please. I am going to include them in my new book. I'm actually I, so I did a book called Mass Murders coming out next year, okay. uh, and I'm going to definitely uh, I'm doing a book called The Ghosts of the American Revolution coming out. So I'm going to focus on them definitely. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. I want to make sure I have plenty of time to say a proper goodbye to you. Goodbye, <laughs> Sam Baltrusis, author of a number of books. This time we focus on Wicked Salem. Baltrusis, B-A-L-T-R-U-S-I-S. And remember, there's the podcast you can share. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you so much, Bradley.